Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Clotho. You can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. And tonight I'm joined with Lot. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr, and you can follow me on Twitter at the Lady of Tarth. Devin? Hey, I'm Devin, GD Harpo on Twitter. And Jimmo? You'll find me um, at Jimmo on Tumblr and also on Twitter. Okay, we're going to be discussing Jamie's first chapter in A Feast for Crows, um, usual trigger warnings for rape, violence, and any spoilers that come up. Um, okay, we're going to go right in and with Jamie, who's standing vigil by Tywin's body in the Great Sept of Baylor. Uh, Balin and Loras try to convince him to go rest, and Loras even offers to stand in his place overnight. But Jamie declines and tells them to leave, and he thinks to himself, Tyrion may have loosed the crossbow bolt that slew him, but I loosed Tyrion. Um, we get some more back, at least through Jamie's eyes. Um, Jamie had threatened Varys with a knife in order to gain his help, um, and he recalls the image of his brother's grinning face as he told him, "You poor, stupid, blind, crippled fool." He'd snarled in a voice thick with malice. Cersei is a lying whore. She's been fucking Lancel and Osmond Kettleblack and probably Moonboy for all I know. And I am the monster they all say I am. Yes, I killed your vile son. So we get that sort of from, you know, that whole conversation from Jamie's perspective. Um, we also learn that Varys has disappeared along with his, you know, along with Tyrion. Um, Jamie leads a obviously fruitless search through the passages beneath the Red Keep. Um, he came across an old mosaic on the floor of the three-headed dragon, which causes him to recall, you know, the day Rhaegar left for Battle of Trident, which kind of, you know, that um, you know, stick out for him and he had begged Rhaegar to go with him to go with Rhaegar, but um Rhaegar basically told him Ares feared Tywin more his side as protection. So I guess we'll stop right there and go over that. Yeah, we had, had a, a lot comment of too and from like uh, I think it's from Reddit um about that and it just said, Okay, so this isn't a question either, but cracked up when Rhaegar told Jamie just before he left for Battle of the Trident, we shall talk when I return. Isn't this the third time in the book someone says something like this right before they go off to die? It should be a rule in Westeros that as soon as you hear this phrase you tackle your <laughs> interlocutor and make them disclose whatever plot critical secret they're concealing. And this is from Sir Bonifer, I believe. <laughs> You know, I honestly had kind of forgot about this little exchange between Rhaegar and Jamie. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, all these little bits in here. There's like these little kind of nuggets from his past that we're getting. You know, kind of, yeah, that sort of shaped him. You know, it's pretty. Yeah, like that leads back to like that sort of divergent path. Like, what would have happened if you know? If he had gone or if he hadn't. Doesn't he mention, um, like, like getting a council together and stuff when he returns? Yep. Yeah. That's kind of interesting because later on, 
Jamie brings up how he's like not fit to be a council member and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's in the same chapter that he's yeah, up. yeah, it is. So, what was this council? Has there been like has anybody delved into what the speculation is about that, or have I missed I, something? To to over, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was like the the main goal of what everyone wanted to do. What was yeah, that? and that's what the attorney was for as well. But Aries, they didn't count on Aries showing up, and then he did, so they couldn't really do what they planned to do there. Is what's widely speculated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they get a little bit to, um, you know, our, the coming Brienne chapter also is going to get into a little bit of like the backstory of why Aries was so terrified to, you know, to let Jane. He was just, you know, he's super paranoid. I mean, obviously there's a reason, but he was, you know, yeah. paranoid that that was going to happen, which it needed to happen. Mm. I don't know, just if you do um, think, if you do think back on it, though, like the timeline of everything, like what if Jamie did convince Rhaegar to go with him? And let's say Robert, um, you know, ended up killing Rhaegar and then Jamie died in the process or whatever, there would have been probably no marriage between Cersei and Robert, right? If they had killed Jamie. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, interesting to speculate. But I think I cut you off. Sorry, Devin. Uh, oh, well, I was just wondering, the comment said it's the third time this has happened. What's the third one? I know the other one is John and Ned. Um, it's the third time this has happened. Uh, someone saying something like that. I can't. I can't think of anything. Yeah, I'm not nothing's standing out for me. I'm sure it <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to write back in and tell us what their third time was because I'm off the top of my head, I'm not thinking. Oh, yeah, like I this commenter says it's the yeah, third yeah, yeah. time. Oh, the third okay. So this is the third time in the book someone says something like this right before they go off to die. Well, there would be mm-hmm. Ned is the obvious one. This one and <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll come to us, <laughs> um, or we'll get a bunch of mail about what it is. <laughs> Let's hope for that. So it, while this is all going on, you know, Jamie's sort of noticing that Tywin's smile is broadening, and you know, <laughs> they sort of uh, um, out of the fat, like he's, you know, we go through this process of he's watching the mourners, and you kind of get his little commentary, inner commentary, some of his funny as people go by, and. Um, Pycelle, like out of the thousands, he says that Pycelle seemed the most distraught. Uh, <laughs> Lord Tywin, no, I could just, this was so vivid in my mind, this whole, um, Lord Tywin never wore a crown, but he was all the, all that a king should be. Um, and Pycelle goes into this, um, you know, he gives an explanation of the, basically the flesh is drying, and that's what it means, kind of this gruesome grin. Um, and, Jamie starts thinking of the interrogation of the chief um, dungeon guard and how he found out that Cersei had ordered the king guard to kill um, the king's guard to kill the two turnkeys, and you know we get more ba- backstory of the various had given them you know sleep wine so Tyrion could es- escape. Um, you know he's pretty pissed off about that. He tells them you know look you have to come to me first. Um, if Cersei ever commands you to kill anyone, <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> I just want to, like, I don't know, say what you want about Pycelle, but you want yourself a Pycelle in your life, man. He is a company man. (laughs) 
to the bitter, like beyond the bitter end. <laughs> like he's, yeah, he was like he had that whole story of the guy who was at High Tower that had sealed the people off, and there was a plague, and he, you know, he did what was right. And that's your father, and <laughs> I know. <laughs> just I just think he wanted to fuck Tywin. <laughs> that's what I think is going on because he is too. Uh, it's, it's, he's too much for me. I can't stand possible. <laughs> And it's, it's funny because Jamie's sort of like, he's sort of lamenting that they took his beard. And he just, you know, he's sort of like, oh, he's, you know, less of a man now without his little Pycelle beard. <laughs> I picture like chicken skin on his neck. Oh, you know, that's what I picture oh, with the descriptor in the book. It's like that kind of like, uh, that textured, bubbled chicken skin. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah. So um, we got No, sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, even worse. Uh, um, <laughs> so um, okay. So right after this part, we had, had um, which actually relates to um, clearance unicorn. I believe it was a Reddit comment had um, she left a comment about this part that happens. Uh, sort of Jamie's immediately after he thinks about the whole you know issue he had with Cersei ordering the King's Guard around. Um, he told the gold cloaks to search for Tyrion in the brothels as a distraction, like knowing what would happen. They... And she says, Jamie one has one of my favorite lines immediately following him thinking about all the sex, the gold cloaks must be having in the brothels. His thought is unbidden. His thought went to Brienne of Tarth, the stupid, stubborn, ugly wench. He wondered where she was. Father, give her strength. And then she put them um, or they put, Oh, Jamie, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Not so I, I love that passage so much. <laughs> Classic <laughs> denial. Yeah. <laughs> Subliminal little, denial. Because I don't know. This happens for both of them over. It reminds <laughs> me of when, in, I think it was a Storm of Swords, where he is. Yeah, it is. Um, he is saying how he is going to hold his next kid and no matter what or whatever. And if, you know, like thinking if Cersei wants another one, he'll give her one. And then, but damn it, I'm going to hold it. But he's like, I'm sick of lies. And he's like, where's Brienne? And he turns around. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. It's great. It's not even subtle. It's like, oh my gosh. It's like hitting you right in the face. (laughs) Yeah. God, there's so much about this passage that I like though. Like, also, I will die on this hill. I think Jamie is going to father and this passage here, it's just how he is praying to the father or his father. And then like at the end of the paragraph, it's just, um, he was a warrior and that was all he was always the warrior. And so it's kind of, I don't know, to me, that seems like it's kind of pointing to him being like fathering at some point, especially since it's also wondering, Where's Brienne after talking, like, uh, thinking about women getting pregnant and stuff? So it's kind of like he's, like, praying to the father because she's going to be the one giving him fatherhood. But he doesn't consciously know <laughs> that, obviously. It's George R. R. Martin putting it in. Um, no. That's how I interpret that paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> I will cling. <laughs> 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 other thing too that to unpack is um we had another another comment yet from Bonifer about 
Jamie and how he's kind of lacking in grief and like, is he really lacking in grief? Um, cause of the way he's, you know, reacting with Tywin and standing for, what is it? Like seven, seven nights. And, um, he's, uh, we have, uh, we contrast this with Jamie's reaction to Joffrey's death where he thinks of Joffrey as nothing but a meaningless squirt of seed and doesn't exhibit any guilt over his death even though it's both his biological son and the third king who died on his watch. And they just said, I get the impression that much like Jamie's feelings for Brienne, his grief for his father is an emotion he's not ready to unpack yet, given their troubled relationship, so his mind just elides over it. Am I out in left field? No, I mean, there's definitely more respect here, because, I mean, we'll get into it in a couple more, you know, scenes here where... Yeah, you know, Cersei sort of seems like she wants to. He wants to get it on. What you know that play that whole thing again in the sept. Yeah, you know, he can't. He can't bring himself to because his father's there. But yet he could with Joffrey. So I mean, there's definitely a different level of, I mean, depth for what's going on here. I think, like, I think it's like in part that, but I also believe he seems to be really fixated on what Tyrion said to him, and like, I think in a way, ah, uh, kinda... reaction grappling with the fact that you yeah. know, Cersei is somebody he who's betrayed him, right? So His I, eyes are open. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that actually has more to do with anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Because that's a huge <laughs> it's a huge um which kind of segues into the next um, you know, during the night, um Jamie also thinks about his last and first vigil um when he was fifteen years old. Um, you know, the sept, we can talk more about that, but there's, there's a little bit more here, but, um, you know, the septas and septas are going on about, you know, going about their devotions and eventually the sept grows still and he thinks about the white book. And I, this really stood out for me. Um, he's that the white book would be waiting when his vigil is done, his page open in dumb reproach. I'll hack the bloody book to pieces before I'll fill it full of lies. Yet if he would not lie, what could he write but the truth? Um, yeah, I think you go back again to like he tries to. He's always trying to. It's just so cynical about it all, but it just means so much to him. And I think this could be foreshadowing that yes, he's something significant that's not going to be wise is going to be written in there. But um, it's just I don't know. That was kind of moving to me that just how <sighs> I think how much he regrets. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of blame that he's casting upon himself. Yeah, and and then we move along to which we were talking about as well just a little bit ago. Um, Cersei appears before him, wearing a heavy, rough-spun cloak that is drenched with rain. Um, you know, all this is sort of like you get the impression intentional. She asks him if he remembers the first time she came to him dressed like that, and it, it's kind of. I thought this was funny this and george wrote this that she she totally gets it wrong she's like the inn in weasel alley and jamie corrects her it's in eel alley yeah yeah isn't it ever good to her <laughs> oh god it really sets the stage um you know and he's already wary and he asks her why she's there and you know it was just so obviously it's heartbreaking because i feel for him obviously it's a terrible relationship but it's just oh god he's like what would you have of me I mean, you can even feel that even now, like, he's ready to, there's part of him, he's just, he's, it's for a moment he hopes that's all she wants, that all she wants is comfort of his arms, 
Cersei disappoints again when she reveals her true motives. Kevin has refused to be the hand of the king, and she begs Jamie to be Tommen's hand. Um, and uh, this part, I'm going to read a little part right here. Um, pretty significant for their relationship. Um, be my hand, she pleaded, and we'll rule the seven kingdoms together like a king and his queen. Um, you are Robert's queen, and yet you won't be mine. I would if I dared, but our son... Tommen is no son of mine, no more than Joffrey was. His voice was hard. You made them Roberts, too. His sister flinched. You swore that you would always love me. It is not loving to make me beg. Jamie could smell the fear on her, even through the rank stench of the corpse. He wanted to take her in his arms and kiss her to bury his face in her golden curls and promise her that no one would ever hurt her. Not here, he thought. Not here in front of God, of the God, and Father. No, he said, I cannot. I will not. I need you. I need my other half. He could hear the rain pattering against the window high above. You are me. I am you. I need you with me in me. Please, Jamie, please. And Jamie looked to make certain Lord Tywin was not rising from his beer in wrath, but his father lay still and cold, rotting. I was made for the battlefield, not a council chamber, and now it may be that I am unfit even for that. Cersei wiped away her tears in a ragged brown sleeve. Very well. If it's the battlefield that you want, battlefields I shall give you. She jerked her hood angrily up. I was a fool to come. I was a fool to ever love you. <sighs> Mess. She's such a cunt. It's <laughs> <is> horrible. <laughs> oh, just the abuse. Like, the, the abuse. This, this is just all stupid. kinds of fucked up. This, these two. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so manipulative. Yes. And, and baffles me how people don't see that as manipulative. Yeah, this <laughs> is not like... Yeah. Perversion, she used, that's all it is, is manipulation. There's nothing yeah. else. It's horrific. She, she uses affection as a tool. And it's that, that's the, the heartbreaking part is like you're like seeing in real time how he's like, just like you said, his eyes had already been opened sort of by Tyrion and then he's, the more and more he sees of her. I mean, again, how can anybody read this as like anything but the ending of like a terrible, you know, just a, a terrible ending to a terrible relationship? <laughs> yeah it, it is interesting to know like too in that passage how he was like so like down to go with uh when over joffrey's dead body but yeah. he has that thought of like no not here it's not appropriate like yeah. all of a sudden he's got like morals when it comes to like doing the deed <laughs> with the dead relative in the same room <laughs> So yeah, I guess it's it's part Cersei, part Tywin being dead, part guilt of getting Tyrion, um, of letting Tyrion go to aid in that. And Tywin's scary, probably even dead. <laughs> he seems, I don't know, he seems more upbeat from the description of his horse. Oh, yes, he's <laughs> That would be even how perfect is the drawing. Oh. <laughs> The one. <laughs> oh, right, right. The yeah. Charlotte. Yes. Awesome. So yeah. good. Yeah. That's been shared on our Twitter earlier today, but you guys should check it out. It's really fantastic. Yeah. It's just beautiful work. Uh, I have another question, too, from, um, and I said it was from Reddit, but these are actually from our email, uh, Sir Bonifer. And this is uh, one about why Jamie is so adver- uh, averse to being hand. Uh, he's no longer going to be a great warrior, so why is he so opposed to using his other skills? Uh, 
Is it just like he's still in denial or? It's a good <sighs> question. And this yeah. is all he knows. I, and I also don't think he realizes how smart he actually is. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree with cause that. Because he's just never been, it's always been warrior or nothing. And he's very smart and I just think he doesn't realize it. Yeah, that's why I feel like part of his arc is to be something other than a warrior. Like, to step into the role of heir or leader. Um, because even at the end of this, it's like saying how, you know, he sounds like Tywin in, in that moment. Right, the closing of this uh, chapter with Cersei yeah. saying he sounds like their father. And we get that we get the, that kind of like a couple times too. So I think George is building up to to Jamie taking on, you know, these more leadership council type roles that he is so opposed to. Time will tell, maybe. <laughs> well, morning finally comes, and mourners arrive. Shortly after, Tom arrives with Cersei, and. He- he begins to sob and retch. Um, this crown falls. It's kind of like an embarrassing scene for her. Uh, she pulls him back and discusses um, Tommen. <laughs> he runs away. Jamie catches him in the hall of lamps and Tommen promises to do better. Um, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. I think it's sort of as much as he always tries to say, oh, he doesn't, you know, he's making an effort. You know, we see that he is making an effort and there's some kind of, slight bonding going on here and Jamie takes him outside so they can have some privacy and Tommen asks him how he can bear the smell and Jamie tells him a man can bear most anything if he must the world is full of horrors Tommen you can fight them or laugh at them or look without seeing go away inside and Tommen you know this was kind of so disturbing poor Tommen um Tommen confesses that he used to go away inside and he starts to explain you know probably something horrible that Joffrey did when he did that uh, Cersei interrupts him and says Joffrey would have never shamed her so. Um, Mother of the year. Yeah, yeah I, God, it's just, ah, oh, she grabs his ear and she's just, yeah. the contrast is cruel. She's basically saying that Joffrey used to, like, abuse me or traumatize yes. me and she's just like, he would never shame me. So, like, he's, she just, like, props Joffrey up on this pedestal right after Tommen is, like, you know, being vulnerable. Some poor kids. I know. Yeah. I think most mothers would comfort their son that just threw up. Oh. At least Jamie stepped in and yeah. did something. Yeah, that was the only thing that actually made him move. You know, he was so adamant that he was going to stay in that position and fulfill, you know, what he said he was going to do and stand vigil. But, uh, yeah, his toil, his instinct... Uh, no question was to go comfort Tolman. Yeah, and she doesn't even like that because she makes a comment about, oh, I thought you were supposed to stand, you know, for seven days, and you know, she just gets nasty. She doesn't even. Uh, she, I don't even think she'd want. I think she'd be jealous of like. Oh, God, it's just so twisted with her. She'd be jealous of any kind of relationship he would have even tried to have with those kids. Mm-hmm. For sure. Oh, gosh. Um. So, <laughs> Mace sort of enters at this. Um. Uh, he sort of approaches them while they're standing there and, you know, 
Jamie suggests that uh, Mason, his wife, set up a dinner meeting with Cersei. And Cersei is not happy about that. She's like sort of demanding, like, why should I entertain them? And, you know, Jamie's here sort of makes a, you know, he's starting to make some interesting points to her. Like, he tells her to send Mace to capture Storm's End for Tommen. And, you know, either Mace succeeds and she gets Storm's End or he fails and he looks like a fool. Um, either way, it benefits her. And, you know, Cersei's sort of considering it and, but she's like, you know, Mace won't leave until Marjorie's wed to Tommen. And Jamie's like, we'll marry them and just get it over with. Um, Cersei ponders it. She kind of gets like a smile on her face. And basically the potential of Mace's death just in the siege convinces her. And <laughs> um, that's what that was the point where she tells him this is the end where she, you know, for a moment, you sound, he sounded like Tywin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shrugging off the thought of Mace dying in battle. Oh, yeah, you sound like our father. <laughs> and that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Mm. This family is all kinds of fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there you know, there were a lot of other little sort of um I read over them there were little tidbits. You get you get little you know, he kind of I think one of the reasons, yeah, he sort of says, well, at least Marjorie seems clever because she's holding the roses to her face. And, you know, I think he's kind of trying to convince himself that everything will be okay for Tom. And if he you know, gets married and not really a lot of options right now. <laughs> well, he understands to the Alliance. Yeah. The alliances are extremely important right now. And his sister just, she can't think that way. She's total power. It's just, it's just like, it's the chaos. Like, I just feel so bad. It's like, can you imagine you be away from your job and you just come back and like somebody's just mess. It's just created such chaos. Oh, God. Yeah. So do we have any more mail or? Yeah, we do. We have a bit that I didn't get to. So I apologize if there's some repetition, but um, from Gmail, we have C Spirit. Who says, hi, podcasters. Thank you so much for your intelligent, hilarious, amazing podcast. I stumbled across it as the shit show of season eight was drawing to a close, and it has truly been a bomb to my broken shipper heart in this depressing time. I was a bit of a latecomer to the Jamie and Brienne fandom, even though I'd been shipping them on my own for several years, and this podcast has felt like catching up with long-lost friends. I've been making my way through your old episodes while also trying to catch up on the new ones. And each one is a genuine delight. So far, I'm a big fan of this message. (laughs) Uh, The insightful (laughs) analysis, bouts of laughter, and fun and friendship you all share always leave me with a smile on my face. And your book episodes inspired me to do a reread, which has been a much-needed palate cleanser. I was thrilled that you decided to keep podcasting after the show ended, and I hope you get going for a long time. I already know I'll enjoy your episodes on wins, if we ever get the damn thing, as much as the book itself. Uh, Thanks again for all you do, ladies and occasional gents. I'm so glad to have found you. (laughs) That is a nice message. Thank you, Spirit. (laughs) And then just from uh, Sir Bonifer again, just uh, thank you so much for continuing this podcast after the show ended. I'm a show-only refugee who enjoyed the series but didn't feel the need to participate in fandom until mid-season 8 when I realized, one, Jamie is my precious redeemed cinnamon roll, and two, D&D were about to trash his character arc for no particular narrative purpose. 
So I started delving into the books and fortunately found your podcast soon after. It's been such a joy to experience GRM's story along with your insightful and hilarious commentary. You're the best book club therapy group a traumatized fan could ask for. <laughs> Thank you. And we have from Reddit, Buck O'Hare. So this is um, kind of stuff that we already talked about, but, you know, maybe something else will percolate. Uh, Buck O'Hare writes, I do find Jamie's view of Rhaegar interesting and how that might affect Jamie's reaction to John Stargarian. <laughs> <laughs> also with his distaste for his fellow Kingsguard, can the team suggest Jamie's ideal Kingsguard and maybe their ideal Kingsguard by a feast for crows? Oh. Hmm. Huh. So can you think of an ideal Kingsguard? Hmm. Well, Hmm. No Kingsguard. <laughs> <laughs> Burn it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I think Kingsguard needs to be re... There's something needs to happen with that, because I'm not a fan of, oh, this serving for life nonsense. Yeah, there oh. definitely needs to be an yeah. age of feel, retirement. Yeah, I feel like in the books, it's set up as something as negative. Like, you, it's not something you really want to strive for. Whereas in the show, it was like a, it was like a good thing to achieve. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird because I think it sounds like maybe at one point it was, but it's just got, and maybe it's because a lot of what we hear about the Kingsguard, maybe I'm getting clouded by Jamie's kind of negative view of it, but yeah, it's like, it almost seems like it's sort of idealized at one point that it was this amazing thing, but yeah, everybody's like, ugh, like almost comparing it to being in the, you know, uh, the Night's Watch or... <laughs> yeah, because you're having to yeah, like, just... you know, you have to like get rid of you know, lands and titles, and then you can't marry, and then um, it's just that whole issue of the gray areas of oath-keeping and mm. honor, and it's so, like, black and white, the Kingsguard. Mm. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with who's in the Kingsguard, particularly at, like, this the present time that we're in now with the books or whatever. Um, but just, like, think back to Duncan Egg and those Kingsguard members. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. how great they were. And, like, it seemed like it was something you would want to yeah. strive for. And even when Dunk is, you know, on the Kingsguard and Lord Commander and all that. And then you fast forward to now and Kettleback, Kettle Blacks, Boris Blunt, and those guys. And it's like, Marin Trent. Who the fuck would want to be in the Kingsguard? Oh, yeah, it's just like the kind of like tarnish and corruption and, you know, just things that happen over time or as idealistic yeah. or people wanted it to be something great. It just turned to trash. Because yeah. throughout the histories, there's always yeah. been like one or two Kingsguard, like, you know, every often would do something fucked yeah. up or whatever. Yeah. But for the most part, they were, you know, pretty great until you get to, I guess now, really. I mean, like if you had to pick, I would definitely say I'd want Brienne. And Jamie and Sir Dunk the Tall and Barristan the Bold. Uh, so you're at two spots. <laughs> I hear good things about Sir Arthur Dane. And, Arthur Dane, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got one more. I guess I'd throw Ned on there. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Poor dead Ned. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so then uh, just to finish up, had a reread today, and wow, this is one of the chapters that stresses the young Lion King Slayer dichotomy so well. The whole road's yeah. not taken. What if Jamie had been at the Trident? What if he had been one of Rhaegar's Kingsguard for a reformed realm? How close on a knife edge glory and infamy lie? Yeah. Very poignant. Yeah, that was, yeah. 
Thank you for for that. Mm. And that that's it for mail. Okay. Um. Well, I guess if we don't have anything else, anybody got any final thoughts on the? <laughs> Well, not particularly on the chapter, but I have a friend, um, since the show's finished, she started reading the books, and every day is something new. She was like, what the fuck were the indie <laughs> Like, and then, <laughs> Oh my god. Devin? When I talked to her today, she's like 100, oh. she has like 145 pages left in Storm. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah, and like, and even since the first book, she's been like, why didn't they include this? What about this? I'm like, yeah, now you see. <laughs> it just makes you feel bad all over again because yeah, it's like that freshness. She's totally on the Jamie Brienne train as well. Awesome. Yay! Because <laughs> it's so obvious. It's yeah. Bad. Anyone who has truly has truly read the book knows that it's the thing. <laughs> like, I don't believe anyone has like actually read the book if they say it's not the romance. I almost feel like we need to ask you to get like a weekly report on the status of your friend's re- uh, reading, Devin. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a what the fuck moment from Devin's yeah. friend. <laughs> because this chapter, like, particularly speaks so much to like, they left so much of what the loss of his hand and what. I mean, this is such a, like, just think of anybody can relate to their lives. Like, if you just suddenly lost your career and you couldn't do your career, like, it's just. This and, is huge. And just the falling apart of Jamie and Cersei, too. Like in this yeah, chapter, on top of that, yeah. In this chapter, he's even thinking about how she only comes to me when she wants something. Yeah. And it's like, but they don't ever go through any of that, like, on the show. And it's so low. I mean, it's such a low point. You know, PTSD, all these things that he's coming back from. And it's, I mean, it's just oh, astounding. Yeah. And they, and that's, that stuff Giving. is so... That's rich content that they just like, bleh. they were like, okay, we don't care. We don't even want to delve into this. This doesn't matter. Like, hmm. Yeah, he was just giving <laughs> common tips on how to hide away inside. So it's like he did have, he did have a lot of trauma. Yeah. Oh, so much here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can reach us at close the door and uh, gmail.com on Tumblr at close the door and come here at tumblr.com. You can also submit questions um, on the pre-show threads that we've been reading um, via the Jamie and Brienne subreddit on Reddit. Um, follow us on Twitter at Door Podcast. Please like, review, subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, wherever you like to listen. And please support us on Patreon at Close the Door. Um, thanks, guys. <laughs> You're welcome, Clotho. Thank you. <laughs> um, close the door. Get out. <laughs>